Well, let me introduce myself just a little bit. Um, I've been a pastor over 45 years. Um, actually, I was uh, the head of the church planning committee when North Cross was started. So uh, you have been prayed for. I, I know some of the greater heads here from long back. Um, I've been a chaplain for uh, Queens men's basketball and uh, universe, I mean UNCC women's basketball for a decade. Uh, so I love young people. Um, and uh, right now what I'm doing is I am with Hudson Belk um, at JGR, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, and uh, got a great job there. Listen to what I do. This is just so fun. So I walk around and talk to people. Um, my wife's been telling me I could have a great conversation with a light pole uh, because whenever we go, I used to have this old 72 pickup truck and you know that if you didn't want to ride behind it because it stunk, you know, that kind of thing. But whenever I went to the gas station, all these old guys wanted to talk about that pickup truck and my kids never would understand my, one of my kids, they said, you know, we, we, I pastored in a church in a community for a good long time. And every time we went out to eat, you know, somebody would come to the table or I would greet somebody and they said, can we get away? You always know everybody. And so the very first time we went to New York City and um, we were at this famous uh, hotel and in the, in the lobby and the person walks by and says, hey, Ken. <laughs> and my kids just lost it. Um, but so I get to walk around, invite guys to lunch and, uh, and get to know them, earn the right to share the gospel with them and start small groups. I'm enjoying doing that. Um, it's just fun. And also, I mentor, this is rather unique, sports ministers of larger churches that have sports uh, ministries all over the country. Because um, like anything else, a second law of thermodynamics, you start a sports ministry, it can rapidly become not ministry and just sport. And everybody had a good time, but the gospel's not involved. So I work with the leaders to help equip the coaches, help do all those sort of things. So um, that's what I'm doing these days. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to preach. I told Hudson, asked me to, if I would be willing to come. I said, sure. I hadn't preached in a good while. And, he, and one of my friends said, well, you can tell him you haven't preached and get ready, you know. Uh, but I'm not going to put months and months of sermons together for you today. But I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to preach to you today. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be directed towards you, and they'd be honoring towards you. Father, I pray that you'd help us think about things maybe we haven't thought about. I pray that you'd help us feel what you would like us to feel as a result of this scripture. And Father, I pray that you would, so your Holy Spirit would so work in us to what you want us to do and respond to this scripture. May you do what you want to do. And if you want to have revival breakout, Lord, may it be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk about one of the strangest uh, passages, uh, encounters that Jesus had. Um, it's a conversation with, that Jesus has with a woman, a mom, and he calls her a dog. Uh, so we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, if you've, you've got your bulletin that's printed there, I'm going to read two different passages. First, starting in Mark 7, verse 24 through 30. This is the inspired word of God. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre 
He entered a house and did not want anybody to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as, he, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed with an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born of Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right, right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. Your demon, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And the similar passage in Matthew 15, starting with verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. The verse I want to kind of key in on was, It's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Verse 26. Now, this might be one of the strangest things Jesus said. In the context, we find that Jesus here is ventured outside the confines of Israel and is in a Gentile region. And Mark's version says that in this story, he's trying to get away and get some rest. Um, he's, he's retired to a house, ev evidently seeking to get away from the controversy of the Pharisees, the controversy of the religious leaders and the rulers of the land, and, and you know, that wanted Jesus to keep their rules, and he wasn't keeping their rules. Um, but it did not happen because Jesus could not escape notice. Wherever he went, even in a, in a Gentile land, they knew who he was. His fame had gone ahead of him. Word had spread that he had supernatural power to heal. So even in this Gentile territory, people knew about it. And this particular woman, it was her last hope. So she's called a Canaanite. You might remember from the Old Testament, they were kind of like the mortal enemies of the Israel. They were not welcome. They, were, they did not like the, the Jews. Matthew says it this way, a Canaanite woman from that territory came to him and began to shout. Now, not normal conversation, but shout out over the den of everybody else, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, I love seeing all the little children here. Uh, that, that just delights. Lynn and I looked, looked at a little girl and I go, oh, isn't she beautiful? We, we have four girls ourselves and, and one boy. Uh, he's ugly. They're pretty beautiful. <laughs> but 
Um, but every parent knows the feeling of caring for your child. And when they're in distress, how much you want them to be healthy, them to be, you know, whole. Um, it's not a matter of time or distance of money. Every parent will pay whatever it takes, go however far it is to make sure their child is taken care of. Um, the only thing that's on a parent's mind is, is my child going to be all right? And in some ways we're saying, God, are you listening? And in this particular situation, this woman who loved her daughter so much, God was not listening to her, well, was not answering her. We don't know much about this woman's daughter. We don't know how she was tormented by a demon, but it wasn't a matter of medicine. Uh, medicine can't get out demons. Uh, because the problem was supernatural, her only hope was Jesus. And that's why the woman came to Jesus that day. Now, I always love miracle stories because every miracle story, it has a good ending. And this one does too, but I want to talk about how it got to that point. Uh, one thing we can learn about Jesus from this passage and others is that he doesn't do the same thing with each person. He does something different. You know, Nicodemus, he responded to him in one way. Uh, the woman at the well, he said something else. The deaf, mute, he responded differently. Even with little Zacchaeus, he, he did something different that he'd never done before. Um, he met people where they were. And that's a comfort to me as I'm talking to people at Joe Gibbs, as I minister to other people, even as I preach today, is I know that there might be something that's said today that will get through the filter that you have. And you will hear something maybe you've not heard before. Or it'll, it'll go deep inside you. Well, Jesus here, um, here's how he deals with this situation. I want to answer two questions. And the first question was, why was Jesus silent? And the second one, why did Jesus call her a dog um, when he did speak to her? So Matthew's very cl clear in verse 23 that Jesus, when she was asking him, asking him, shouting to him, he didn't say a word. He was just silent. Uh, nothing terrifies more than silence from heaven, right? Um, it happens for every believer. Sometimes we pray, and we're asking God to do something specific on our timetable, and we don't get an answer. Um, Jesus did not speak immediately to this woman, but I want you to know, the Scripture doesn't say, but we know it to be true, because he later on, he, as he responds to her, he heard everything she said. Even though he did not respond, he heard everything. His silence was meant to draw her out her faith, in the end, she got what she wanted, and her suffering daughter was healed. But God's silence sometimes is not a no. Sometimes it's not now, or not this, or not yet. In this case, it's interesting that Jesus wants to draw out a conversation with her to reveal her faith because it wasn't all about her and her daughter. You see, Jesus had a bigger picture he had his disciples there listening. And we are listening today to this conversation. And as far as the disciples were concerned, they saw some strange, loud, sad, pagan woman, woman who was irritating them by shouting and you know, just going on and on about her daughter. They had no use for a Canaanite. 
Uh, it would have been different maybe if she had been a Jewish mother, I think. But Jesus knew their bigotry, how they really didn't want to respond. So why was he silent? We turn to this question, why didn't God, you know, it causes us sometimes to ask, why didn't God answer our prayers when we pray them? I'm convinced that if every time we, um, we prayed, we got the answer immediately, we'd come to the place where we would only pray and we would, when we just want something dispensed to us. We would start talking to God as if he was a cosmic genie or a, a, a divine slot machine that would, would give us what we wanted. Um, so, but he, he's not that. James 5, 16 says, reminds us that the per- fervent prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Effective. This word fervent means uh, boiling. You, you know, when water boils, it, it goes like that. He says, when the boiling prayer of the righteous, that does reap benefit, which means it takes a while. Watch water boil. It takes a while, doesn't it? It seems to be longer as you watch it. Well, but it, it basically he's saying when you have something you are desperately wanting to pray about, you're not going to stop. You're, you're going to keep praying over and over again. Um, who understands this more than a, a mother of a sick child? Uh, she will stop at nothing. She won't take no for an answer. She will carry her daughter everywhere. She'll post it on Facebook, pray for my daughter. She wants a miracle from heaven, so she begs God for that. Nothing re- um, renders a parent more helpless than when their child is sick. Um, we have five children. Uh, when our, We only had two Katie is the oldest rule, rule keeper girl. When she was five, you, you might identify with that. You know, do exactly. Well, she's, her role was to tell Oliver everything to do when he was two. And we were visiting my uh, grandmother who lived to be 101 up in Virginia. And part of her land, was, part of her house was pre-Civil War. And if you've ever been in an old house, you know there's not those hollow corridors. They're just the solid doors, right? I mean, heavy, big, you know, it had the old knobs from way back, you know, the glass knobs. Anyhow, she had a, um, a bathroom, um, and we told the kids, don't play in the bathroom, of which Oliver wanted to play in the bathroom. So he's in the bathroom. He's trying to, to get out. Anyhow, you know how the door opens and the hinge is this side? Uh, usually we talk, he, he got his fingers between the hinge, not where the door where the doorknob is, but over here. And so Kate, Katie's trying to keep him out or keep him in. I forgot which, but he she pushes the door when his fingers are in the jam, and all of a sudden, and you know the difference, parents, when when kids scream, you know that's a normal scream. You know I can ignore that one, but when it's the blood curdling, you know we all of a sudden get up and run, and and I look at his fingers, like three of his fingers are like look crushed. And I'm sure in my mind it was, you know, he's never going to write. He's never going to play the guitar. He's never going to do anything. So I'm all, and I said, where's the urgent care? So we put him in the car. We go down to urgent care. As soon as we get to urgent care, I'm ready for them to watch. And they want me to fill out forms. And they weren't too urgent about urgent care. And I'm saying, I can do that later. You know, my son's fingers are smashed. And um, he's fine, by the way. But my I was, you know, I'm, I was going way too fast to get there. Um, but 
I had in my mind, I just, all I had in my mind is Oliver's fingers. I, we need to get this taken care of. We beg and we plead and we want the doctors to fix it. We do the same thing with God. We want him to do that. So Jesus basically is putting this woman's faith on trial. Will she turn away in despair or will she keep asking? Will this delay in what she wants cause her to, um, you know, forget about it? Was was there a hidden yes in her, in his silence? One thing I've learned, faith only grows when it's tested. A faith not tested can't be trusted. And if you're going to grow in the Lord, your faith will be tested. You'll have to come to the place where you will not depend on your own strength, and you know it'll only happen with God. And I, I think that scenario is why he was silent to her, because he had more that he wanted to happen in this, what's going on here. God hears your cries, by the way. Keep praying. Um, so why was he silent? He's doing something. Question number two, why did Jesus call her a dog? We can't get away from this. You know, um, there's no doubt one of the greatest challenges of the story, so we want to face it squarely, non-political, um, non-political correct statement. Uh, I shared this passage at a Bible study at JGR, and, and I invited all the ladies that did HR. I said, I want you to come hear Jesus say something that y'all would be upset about, uh, calling a woman, a mom, a dog. And they went, what? And they'd never heard this story, and so they, they came and heard this. But verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Uh, it might make you feel better. The word dog does not mean wild dogs or pack of dogs. It's like a household dog. It's, um, that doesn't lessen it too much, does it? Uh, you could, it could be translated puppies. Um, you know, you might ask yourself, well, would you rather be considered a child or a puppy? I think we'd want to be a child, but was Jesus being cruel? Let me give you two truths to, behind this statement. First, Jesus was the Messiah for the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. And he was making a point here, it's to the Jew first. He came first to them, but not only to them. That's why Romans 1.16 includes the promise, and also to the Greek, which I am so happy about, because I am a Gentile. I am glad the gospel has come to me. Um, the Lord starts with the Jews, but he doesn't stop there. So that's one principle and why he did what he did and why he called her a dog. But secondly, Jesus wanted the woman to understand her true condition. This is where I really want you to listen, because this might shock you. No one has any claim on the goodness of God. I've known a lot of unbelievers pray to God. But they don't have a relationship with him. They just, you know, how many times have you heard people that have cursed God, and all of a sudden they're almost in a wreck, and they go, oh, God. And they call out to God. You know, that's an opening for, for me. But no one has a claim on the goodness of God, and no one deserves heaven. Now, in the South, pretty much everybody who dies, go to any funeral, they're all going to heaven. We kind of think everybody deserves to go to heaven. But it's not true. It really isn't. There's a major problem from the beginning. We like to think that we're better than we are. 
we like to compare ourselves to the guy down the street that never cuts his grass, and we think we're better. When Jesus compares Gentiles to dogs, he's asking the woman to do this. Admit your true condition. Don't you understand that you're completely outside the covenant of grace and that you have no claim on me at all? I can heal your daughter, and I'm willing to do it, but only if you acknowledge that you don't deserve it. You can't, you can get your miracle, but it's only going to be by grace, not simply because you think you deserve it. You come to God by grace, or you don't come at all. Um, now, I've pastored PCA churches, and this church asks the same question that every other PCA church asks when you join the church. You have to answer this in, with a yes answer to become a member of this church. And the question is, do you admit you're a sinner justly deserving God's displeasure and in desperate need of God's grace? See, if you never admit your need, you'll never ask Jesus to be your Savior. So the shocking truth of this story is, you're a dog, and so am I. You go, I don't like that. You might be a poodle or a German shepherd, and I might be a golden retriever, but nevertheless, we're a dog. We're like puppies under the table begging for crumbs. If you admit that you, if you think you deserve grace, you can never have it. If you admit you don't deserve it, you can have as much as you need. You're a dog, and so am I. That's where this story becomes so powerful. The woman doesn't dispute what Jesus says. I love this. I'm not going to throw it to the dog. She goes, yes, Lord, she exclaimed in verse 27. She could have gotten indignant. Don't talk to me that way. I'm not a dog. But she responded with, I agree with you. A great principle. If you want to end in the right place, you need to start in the right place. And the right place to start is always agreeing with Jesus. And this woman agrees with Jesus. Think about this, what this woman did. She never gave up. She never got angry. She never con contradicted Jesus and never accused him of being unfair. Um, she said, basically, you're right. I am a dog. I have no claim to your grace. I have no reason to listen. You have no reason to listen to me. And then she says, I love this, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And you are so wonderful. If I could just have a crumb for you, for my daughter, that's enough. That's enough. She had a bigger view of God than probably the Gentiles did. I mean, the rest of the Gentiles and the disciples. Just, we have, we have way too many dogs at our house. Um, we had two, which we think is, you know, American normal. And then um, we, we got a, a, a French Brittany, and my wife, after a month, kept looking at the website, and, and um, George's brother wasn't adopted out yet. And all of a sudden, we ended up with three dogs, so we had to have the brother come. And then my daughter moved in with us, so we have four dogs at the house now. We have a golden retriever, two French Brittany's, and a pit bull. So... We, we know dogs pretty well. Mount Stanley is our uh, golden retriever. And you know how dogs, you know, when they walk in the, in the house, you can hear their nails click, 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 click. Well, we have a rule in our house that the dogs can't be in the same room that we are when we eat. They know to get up. We don't have to tell them anymore. They, get, they leave the room. 
I just hate them when they beg. So they got to go. Now, Stanley, instead of clicking, he can become a ninja. And he knows, like, if it's be out of the room, he would be in, just barely in the hallway there and his head looking. But he kind of he cut his eye at you. And if you look at him, he'll look away. And if you're not careful, he'll sneak right back in. Everyone knows how this works. Dogs hang around the table hoping that someone will give them a scrap, right? Or something would fall and boom, they'll get it. After the family eats, the dogs get the leftovers. Leftovers. Dogs may be dogs, but guess what? Dogs always get fed. The Canaanite mother was asking for crumbs of grace that would heal her daughter. She accepts her position. She admits her need. She agrees with Jesus, and she never gives up. And this leads to the remarkable end in verse 28, and it says, Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And your daughter was healed instantly. When Jesus said, great is your faith, he uses a word he only uses one time in the New Testament about other people's faith. And he, it, basically, that's where the word we get mega. In this passage, he says, you have mega faith. Only time used. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's a woman, not a man. She's an outsider, not an insider. She, he said it to a pagan who believed, not to the priest, not to the Pharisee, and not to the disciples. This woman had mega faith. And her desperation drove her to Jesus. And not being called, I mean, being called a dog didn't keep her away at all. Most people would have turned away, but she didn't. Most would have given up in anger or despair, but she didn't. Most people would have given up, but she understood stood what the Jews missed. Jesus was a true son of David. She needed the mercy only he could supply. She would not be denied. She accepted her position and argued from it. She received what she asked from the Lord. The focus of, the, of this story is, is on this woman and her faith, not her daughter. We don't have a whole lot of details about the daughter. We don't know how old she is. We don't know how she got demon-possessed. But it simply says, from that hour she was healed. As much as we pray for our children and our grandchildren, and particularly when we see them walk from the faith or we see them going in a dangerous position, and it's even harder with adult children, um, But we need to let our prayers continue to boil and call out for God's mercy. Here's the gospel in this story. We are outsiders to the grace of God, cut off from his blessings from heaven. But Jesus died as an outsider so that we could be insiders, so that we could be at the table. Like a dog, we, Jesus was rejected, despised, abandoned outside of the city that we, we might be welcomed to his table. Let me summarize a few things we've learned from this story. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace, even people who seem hopeless and so far away. I remind myself when there's this one particular fellow at Joe Gibbs I, I had a good conversation with him. I asked him if I could take him to lunch just to get to know him. He says, oh, you're one of the chaplains? I, he said, I said, yeah. He goes, no, I don't want to. Well, I'm going to keep asking him. <laughs> I'm going to keep persevering. 
I'm going to try to the, at least let him know I can be his friend. But when we come to God, secondly, we must come on his terms and not ours. As long as we think we deserve salvation, we're never going to get it. Jesus invites us to come to him for the mercy we need whenever we need it. Anyone can have mega faith if you come to Jesus on his terms and you agree with what he says. And lastly, it is God's nature to be merciful. Do you need mercy? Call out to him. Um, an old preacher said of this passage that there's like a perfect prayer in this passage, and it was by this woman with mega faith. And her prayer is really short. Uh, you could memorize it as, Lord, help me. Lord means she recognizes who Jesus is. Help me, she recognizes her need. And me admits the helpless condition. Lord, help me. Are you ready to pray, Lord, help me? I don't know your particular need, but God does. But when you go to him, recognize who he is. He's wonderful. I love the fact that Jesus wanted his disciples who thought they knew so much to learn from this Canaanite woman about faith. May that be multiplied. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of this story, of entering into the emotions of this woman, this dear woman whose name is never mentioned, and whose daughter's name is never mentioned, but whose heart we can certainly identify with. Thank you, Jesus, for how you dealt with this particular woman. It helps us, it encourages us to cry all the more to you and continue to cry to you for mercy because you always answer Every time someone asks for mercy, you gave it to them. And so, Father, we cry for mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen.